everybody, Luke here. I'm gonna dive straight into it. Today we're talking about 10 simple, healthy lifestyle tips for everybody. This applies to everyone from males to females, athletes, students, everybody in between. I've tried to make these as applicable to everyone as I possibly can. Now the first question that many people often ask themselves is how can I be 100% healthy? And unfortunately, I don't think this is the correct attitude to have because there's no such thing as 0% healthy. I suppose that might be dead. <laughs> uh, but there's no such thing as, say, 30% healthy. How do you quantify that? Obviously, there's this continuum of more healthy or less healthy, but trying to find where the optimal level of health is can be very, very difficult. It's not a really tangible thing. And the reason why is because we're a dynamic biological system. There's lots of internal factors that are constantly in flux. And then, of course, we have the interaction with our external environment, which is unpredictable. It has a lot of factors involved as well. And all of those things are interacting constantly. And so as time progresses, of course, that is dynamic. It moves around. Now, of course, we have some norms that are considered pretty useful uh, on a population level things like blood pressure measurements or your blood glucose or any of your various blood test measures. BMI is a good one as well. So these are standard tests that give indications about health, but they're not going to predict exactly what's going to happen to you in the future. If you have high blood pressure, you have a higher risk of cardiovascular disease, but it doesn't mean that you're going to get it for sure and it doesn't tell you when. It interacts with a bunch of other factors in your life as well. Most of the time when there's something that's high on a blood test, a number is outside the standard range, the doctor will usually say, look, let's retest this again in a month or so just to try and confirm it. And the reason why is because, of course, things move and things change. So instead, we should be asking, how can I improve my overall health? Not how can I be 100% healthy or how can I be you know, 20% healthier? Because at the end of the day, you can't aim for anything there. So what are the best health tips? And again, I think this is probably the wrong question to ask because best is not really tangible either. It's up for debate. Uh, the way I think about it is that I try and prioritize the stuff that I call the lowest hanging fruit first, the stuff that has the least friction for me to implement and the most return. You're trying to get a return on your investment of time and effort. And I think the number one thing that people don't do things they know are healthy is because of this friction. So if there's a hurdle to jump, something in the way it's difficult to do or implement, then the chances are drastically lower that we'll actually engage in a healthy behavior, even if we know it's healthy. So sometimes a tip that would maybe make the biggest impact on your overall health uh, is also one that's the hardest to implement and therefore it's less useful. It's kind of the same concept when we're talking about dieting or training. You know, at the end of the day, just trying to achieve uh, energy balance and eating enough protein is going to get you most of the way there. And that's the thing that you want to take care of first before you start worrying about things like nutrient timing or what supplements you're taking. So I would argue that smaller, easier to accomplish habits are going to have a much bigger impact on your health in the long run. And that's what we should be aiming for. So hopefully some of these tips that I'm about to give you will be some of those. All right. So without any more delay, I'm going to get into the tips. These aren't in any particular order, so just take that with a grain of salt. All right, so the first one is to get enough sleep. The research is really mounting, and we have a lot of evidence right now that the duration of sleep that we get is extremely important to many domains of our health and of our physical and mental performance. Cognitive performance, mental health, cardiovascular health, weight loss, mood, uh, 
the amount of fat we lose, all of those sort of things are really, really affected by sleep duration. Now, you probably are thinking, what about, you know, how many sleep cycles do I go through? Is it better to have continuous sleep versus broken up sleep? Can I nap to try and get enough sleep? The fundamental factor seems to be sleep duration in the same way that the fundamental factor for maintaining your weight is an energy balance or, you know, using an energy deficit to lose weight. The same thing could be said for sleep. The fundamental factor is sleep duration. So that should be the primary goal here. That's why I've said this tip is just about getting enough sleep. Most adults need between seven to nine hours of sleep, according to the literature. There are some people who can get away with less, but they're a very, very tiny percentage. It's a genetic mutation that allows them to seemingly handle less sleep better, but it's such a small amount of people worldwide that it's very likely that you are not that person. Now, the literature does seem to indicate that for elite athletes or at least college level athletes, sleeping a bit more can improve their physical performance. So if you're in that category, you might want to look at nine plus hours of sleep every day. Now, the next thing is also related to sleep. The second tip is to have a regular sleep schedule. So now we've gone beyond sleep duration and we're talking about a regular sleep schedule. We're talking about having a regular sleep and wake time. It's really important for ensuring sleep duration for the first point, but it also impacts your circadian rhythm. Circadian rhythmicity refers to all of the regular routines that our body goes through on a daily basis. So we are the sum of a bunch of different chemical reactions hormone releases and tissue responses. And this happens in a pulsatile fashion. Sometimes some things are high, sometimes they're low. There's a lot of different factors interacting with each other. So there are these regular routines of pulsatile hormone release, organ function, general maintenance that our body goes through on a daily basis. It, it matches that 24 hour cycle almost perfectly. And it's the reason why things happen like we tend to get hungry at the same time every day because we're in a routine of expecting food at that time. It's the reason why most people tend to go to the bathroom around the same time every day because you get used to doing it at that time. So this obviously has an impact on us because there is such a thing as social jet lag. And this happens when you change your sleep and wake times during the weekend. For most people, I would say that the time that they get up on the weekend is later and they go to bed later on the weekend. And this can lead to a situation where you're shifting your circadian rhythm artificially for a couple of days and then going back to a regular routine during the week. And unfortunately, this is not so great for your health. So ideally, what we want is if you do like to sleep in, try and make sure that that sleep in is not more than an hour past your regular weekday schedule. Now, of course, sometimes you're not going to really be able to achieve that. But if there's nothing in the way, like if you're just at home on a Saturday night and you're not really doing anything except flicking through channels on the TV or surfing the internet, I'd recommend just opting for going to bed, keeping your routine. And then of course, you've still got time the following day to do whatever you want, whether that's scrolling through social media or literally anything else. So one of the things you can do as well, just while we're on this point to help sync your circadian clock is to actually get outside light exposure in the first half of the day. The way the brain recognizes when it's daytime and what time it actually is, is by syncing its internal clocks. And we quite literally have internal clocks with daylight, um, which is why, you know, blue light exposure at night from electronics and stuff can actually be a bit of a problem. But I think this gets ignored in the face of, well, I think the, the exposure gets ignored in the face of trying to limit exposure in the evening. Whereas the power of having outside light hitting your retina during the day is actually really big 
And so we should try to get outside and get some sunlight hitting our retina in the first half of the day. I would recommend about half an hour outside in the first half of the day. Even looking out from an office window or something like that actually limits the amount of light that comes into your eyes. So ideally we want to physically be outside. The other side of that is to make sure that your room is as dark as possible during sleep. All right, the next tip, move often. This is important for a few different reasons. Basically, the first point is that the contributions from unplanned physical activity are the most variable factor in your daily energy expenditure. And so if you're not on top of that, it can drop quite low. And then of course, you're more likely to overeat. So if you're trying to maintain your weight, regularly moving throughout the day burns a surprising number of calories. It really does add up. Regular movement also improves blood glucose dynamics. So introducing regular periods of physical activity you are asking your muscles to use glucose and that helps us to control our blood glucose levels much better. I also think it's quite important for general mobility. If you're sitting in one position all the time and you're not moving from that position, then I think it's an issue for your posture because your brain will simply accommodate the ranges of motion that you use. Now, I don't think there's any one particular posture that is bad. I really hesitate to call posture any particular posture bad and any particular posture good i simply think that if we spend too long in a single position which for most people tends to be you know sitting uh with a forward rounded shoulders that sort of thing then that's probably not a good thing so move often the th next tip is to get outside being outdoors provides the benefits of blue light that can help set circadian rhythm as we mentioned a couple of tips ago Seeing green vegetation has been shown to improve mental outlook and in some studies creativity, although the validity of those studies I'm a little bit leery on, but nonetheless, it can also help you feel a bit more positive and a bit more happy. When we're outdoors, we're also often being active and that could be playing sports, it could be being social, whether you're outside having a picnic or just spending time with friends, or even if you're just going for a walk. So we're getting physical activity and we're being social. Of course, having some sun exposure also boosts vitamin D, which is really important for a variety of things, including your immune function, bone health, and general health. So I think that getting outside is synonymous with multiple other daily habits, and it can be really nice for your mental outlook. The next tip is what I call decompression time. I've written an article about this that I'll link in the description of this podcast, but this is essentially engaging in some kind of mental focus, I suppose. You may interpret this as engaging in mindfulness, whether that's meditation or just paying attention to your surroundings, often even just being outside and going for a walk, but paying attention to what you're looking at uh, can be a form of mindfulness. Uh, decompression time for me also includes things like self-reflection, it, it, just thinking about your day and your life and things like that. It could even just be daydreaming and you know, some people don't think that daydreaming or getting lost in thought is a good thing. Of course, that's a very different thing to mindfulness, but I still think it's important to take a break from media that sucks away our attention. So I found personally that when I uh, engage my mind in something like music or a podcast or social media or reading or anything else like that, it doesn't give me space to have self-reflection, to let my thoughts run their course, for me to subconsciously process things that are going on in my life and various decisions I have to make. And the only time that I really end up getting time to do this is when I go to bed and I finally turn everything else off. And I'm sure many of you have had this situation where you're lying in bed and you're thinking about all the stuff you have to do the next day, all the things that are going on in your life. 
your mind's just spinning and it doesn't seem to stop and it's very difficult to sleep. I have found with myself and my clients that allocating time throughout the day where you aren't distracted by music, podcasts, etc., and you allow yourself to simply work your mind, just let it run, can really help with this sort of situation. And it can help you give a bit of clarity on various things that you're thinking about, you know, whether it's decisions in your life, whether it's stuff going on at work, whether it's just self-reflection on anything in general. I think this is really helpful. So I call that decompression time. And obviously there's a few different ways you can do it. You could read a bit more in the article that I'll post in the description. The next point is to be proactive with relationships. One of the most significant predictors of happiness in life and life satisfaction is a sense of connection with others. And whether that's with your community, whether that's with friends in general, or whether that's with your family. So there are many different types of relationships we can foster. It could be even just work relationships. It could be old high school friends. It could be with a sports team. It could be with your local community, just people you see on the street, your neighbors. It could be with your family or your best friends. I think the key that I wanna make is that we need to be proactive with fostering these relationships. We can't be reactive. We can't sit on our heels and let them develop the way they, they are. I'm sure we've all kind of experienced that where we slowly drift apart from people when we actually have a lot to offer. We've experienced something or we've shared great experiences with those people. And it can be kind of sad to let them drift apart. And uh, I, I do think that that's a natural way of things. Sometimes we have people in certain parts of our lives that are really meaningful to us and we kind of move on from each other and that's fine. But I also think that there are probably many relationships that simply die out slowly because they aren't proactively watered. So I think it's really important to be proactive in stoking the flames of the relationship. One way that I think is quite an interesting idea of reconnecting with people and sharing something nice with them is something that I got from a researcher called Sean Acor. And he recommends writing a quick note or an email every day to someone who has done something for you in the past and simply writing them a nice note or a thank you. That makes you feel really good. It makes them feel recognized. It makes them feel really good. And it may prompt you to contribute more to the friendship. It may reignite a connection there. Now it might not, but I think being proactive about it is still quite an important thing. And if there's one thing we do know, it's that happiness is really, really related to your sense of connection with others. So next one, do physical training that you enjoy. Now, there's tons of different ways that you can have structured physical training. It could be doing cardio, it could be doing weights, it could be involved with playing a certain sport. There's obviously tons of different stuff you could do, whether it's yoga, Pilates, hiking, rock climbing, swimming, etc. I guess the point is not to get too stuck on which one is best for you. Uh, if we were to really drive down into this, I guess a combination of all of those things is probably best for you from a longevity perspective. But I don't think that anyone should be forced into doing stuff that they really don't enjoy doing. I still think training should be challenging. I still think that sometimes you should basically not really feel like doing structured physical training. And that's, you know, the kind of the point is that we want to challenge ourselves. But at the same time, we should try and choose physical activities that we could see ourselves doing a few times a week for a long time, at least a year, you know, because we want to be able to engage in physical activity regularly. That's really the point of it for a health perspective. So I'll 
make the point that you shouldn't write something off before you've given it a good crack. I'd really encourage you to try a few different things if you don't really like the training you're doing at the moment or you're getting a bit bored of it. You can try something else. Try something different and see if you like it. If you give it a good go for a month and you don't really connect with it and you're not really excited by it, then cool, you can find something else. But definitely give something a go. Don't just define yourself as like a bodybuilder or a runner or a swimmer or whatever it is. We're all humans that have a great capacity to move. We have a lot that can encompasses our physicality and it can be quite nice to just cultivate a different aspect of your physicality. If you're a bodybuilder who never does any cardio, it could be an interesting experiment to try and engage in some of that. And it's gonna probably suck a little bit at first, but the cool thing about it is because you're so unconditioned to that particular physical quality, it actually means that the the ceiling for you to improve is really low. So you can, or the threshold to improve is really low. So you can quite easily make pretty big improvements with only a small amount of time investment. But I think the biggest thing at the end of the day is just to be consistent with whatever training you're doing, just making sure you show up and you're enjoying it because physical training is very important for our mental and physical health. Next up, we have a focus on energy balance. So at the heart of good health is a healthy weight and energy balance. All of the details around, you know, sugar is bad for you, this is bad for you, you shouldn't have too much of this, is all mostly mitigated by eating an appropriate amount of actual food. Now, I do think that there are other important things. You should be getting enough fiber and micronutrients and plant material and protein and all these different things, but the main focus should be on energy balance because if you do all of those other things and you're still eating too much, unfortunately, it's still gonna negatively impact your health. So I think energy balance should be a focus for everyone and that can take multiple different forms. It doesn't mean that you have to do a particular diet. Uh, you could choose something that suits you well. It could be intermittent fasting, keto, low fat, whatever you want. I think the, the fundamental thing that we need to focus on is energy balance, and we need to understand that many different diet setups share similar features, and that common feature for a successful diet is one that helps you control how much energy you are eating. So just pick something that works for you and focus on energy balance primarily. Don't get lost in the details. Next, have a hobby. Focusing exclusively on work is not the healthiest way to spend your life. And I think it's just as important to spend your leisure time getting better at something, improve in something in your life that is not related to your profession. So it could be literally anything. It could be woodwork, music, learning a language, writing, like anything. Having a hobby that's separate to what you do to pay the bills is really important for your mental health. It's, uh, it can be quite valuable. It can be a source of pride. It can be a source of excitement. Um, it can help you connect socially with other people. It's something that allows you to de-stress. So I think it's very important that we cultivate hobbies uh, and similar to the physical training side of things, if there's something that you wanna give a go but you're not really sure if you like, just have a go. Just try and develop skills and see how you like it and uh, you may find that there's something that ends up sticking with you that you really enjoy and makes you a better person. And the final tip is to learn to budget. I think if there's one thing that I wish I'd learned how to do better earlier in life, it would be learning to budget. And if I had to guess, I would say that the biggest source of stress in most people's lives would be financial. Uh, and learning to budget is pretty obviously going to help with that, but it also does something else. It teaches you how to prioritize things in your life to understand what you care about and what you don't care so much about. Going through the process of budgeting may make you realize that something like, for example, travel is really, really important to you. 
And it means that you may also understand that buying coffees or takeaway lunches or things like that are not conducive to your overall goal of wanting to travel. If you saved $40 a week from coffee or buying lunch at work or something like that, that's a plane ticket every every year. That's $2,000 a year that you're potentially saving that you could spend on a plane ticket to go somewhere. So I've found that learning to budget really helps me identify the areas of the life that, of my life that mean the most to me, and then I can subsequently prioritize things a little bit better. It really does make you stop and think about what is important to you and where you should be putting your time and your resources. Um, so I've found that budgeting firstly removes the stress of emergency situations that you might not have anticipated, um, things like medical bills or automotive repairs or whatever it is. It also helps you really clarify what you want in life and that, that sort of background anxiety over your bank account really dissipates when you actually just take the plunge, you do a proper audit of where your money's going. And I think this applies to everyone, even if you are a high income earner, because the pinch of lifestyle creep is very real. Very many people, as they earn more money, just start to spend more money. They start to leak money here and there. And there are certainly people out there who are earning hundreds of thousands of dollars a year who are under significant financial stress because they're overextended, despite the fact that they actually earn a lot more money than the rest of us. So I think it's really an important thing to look at. All right, so that's the 10 tips. There you have it. There's definitely some stuff that I probably could have mentioned. Certainly, I mentioned stuff like eating more vegetables, um, things along those lines, but I just thought that I would keep it to 10 pretty basic tips, and I wanted to try and make it not so training and nutrition focused. So it's pretty clear that health is more, uh, more than what you eat. It's more than how you train. I imagine there's quite a lot of fitness enthusiasts that are listening to this, and I'm sure that you're probably covering a lot of the stuff like eating enough vegetables and training often enough. So I thought maybe I would just give you some tips that are not so much related to those things. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks very much. And uh, be sure to visit the links in the description where you can read a bit more about this. So I'll link that decompression article and I'll link the blog post that corresponds to this podcast. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you in the next one.